it's not at all uncommon these days to hear people saying, particularly people in the spiritual community saying, you know what, I'm done. I didn't up for this. I don't want to do this life anymore. Um, I'll be happy to be disembodied. And I always think, really? (laughs) And so I understand we have a lot of pressure on us right now to grow, and that's not going to let up anytime soon. But I think there are better answers than to just wish to be out of your body because then you got to have a backup plan. So the most perfect person to talk to about this is Anita Morjani, the woman who wrote Dying to Be Me and became very famous for her um, out-of-body experience after that near-death experience after suffering for years from cancer. And what she experienced on the other side really brings tears to our eyes. So let's talk to Anita about why maybe we should have a backup plan and why maybe it's okay to be here on earth embodied. So here we go. I can't wait to have you meet Anita if you haven't already. Hi, Anita. Hi, Regina. It's lovely to be here and chatting with you. Yes, it's wonderful. You know, your experience has inspired so many people. And I thought what I'd do is just set it up really quickly. You were a member of an East Indian family who resided in London, right? In in Hong Kong at first. In yes. Hong Kong at first, yes. Yes. So you decided to go against conve- convention. You decide you walked away from your marriage, which is a very elaborate affair, uh, four days or so beforehand, which of course was shocking. You became an outcast, and then you had to go on your after a guru told you, bad girl, you had to go on a journey of trying to become perfect to recover yourself in the eyes of the divine. And it landed you in a tough situation, judging yourself, over trying. You ended up with cancer. And so from there, you're emaciated, you're on your deathbed. Just pick it up from there, that experience, and then we're going to go on from there. So I am dying of cancer in the hospital, surrounded by my family, doctors, Doctors have told my family that I may not even make it through the night. I I, I barely don't even have 24 hours to live. My organs have shut down. You know, I weigh 85 pounds. My lungs are filled with fluid. I've got tumors the size of golf balls throughout my body because it's lymphatic, uh, lymphatic cancer and it has spread throughout my lymphatic system. And so I'm in a coma. I go into a coma And doctors have told my family, I'm not going to come out of this coma. And and my organs are now all failing. But unbeknownst to the people around me, even though my physical body is in a coma and dying, I have left my body, my soul, my spirit, whatever we want to call it, has left my body. And I remember feeling incredible. I felt so light. And I felt free. I just felt like filled with love. And I felt a kind of a love or an acceptance that I don't remember ever feeling in this physical life before. And I can't even pinpoint loved by whom. Can I call it God? Can I call it the universe or everybody? But I just felt enveloped in this feeling of unconditional love. And I'd never felt unconditional love. I didn't even know what it meant to be loved unconditionally. And I realized that when you're loved unconditionally, you don't have to work at being loved. You don't have to feel like you have to earn it or win it, or there's any chance of losing it. It's like you're loved just because you exist. 
and you don't even feel like, oh, if I do something wrong, I'm going to lose this. And so I realized that everything that I had thought was love was actually approval. And what I was experiencing here was true love. And it was just incredible. Just the most beautiful thing I've ever experienced. We try to articulate these feelings. I know just chatting uh, with my soul group, my guides over time, they've always called it, said that the bedrock of the universe is mercy and compassion and grace and love. Yes. Throughout all of the universes, that is the bedrock of consciousness. And they were explaining to me also that they're it doesn't matter what level you're at, what dimension you're in, what planet you're on. Every single being has one express intention, and that is to refine itself, just to move itself through the process of refinement and knowledge and learning on any level, including through joy. And that's we're going to get to that in a moment. And um, so that you can't be wrong. Everybody's going to screw up quote, screw up because we're learning. And it doesn't matter if you're the most masterful being, they're still learning as well. Yep, exactly, exactly right. So let's talk about where, how you felt, where, what role joy takes in this and also meeting with your father on the other side. Yes. So when I was there on the other side, you know, basically out of outside of my body. So there I was, I realized I was also surrounded by beings, other beings that, uh, that had passed before me, possibly some of them had never been incarnate before, because there were some beings I didn't, I didn't recognize, but I just felt love emanating from them. And I felt that they were there to guide me, to help me, to protect me. Um, you know, they were just all there for me. And one of the beings was my dad and he had passed, he had died 10 years prior. And he was one of the people that had always been disappointed in me because I was a little rebel and, you know, and I, I didn't go through with the arranged marriage and I brought shame to our entire community and was ostracized. So he was somebody I had disappointed and let down my entire life. And he was also the one that had instilled fear in me the, you know, the fear of the afterlife, the fear of not being married at a certain age, the fear of just not being enough, good enough, not being accepted in my society. So this whole fear and living from a place of fear of disapproval, fear of not fitting in, it all came um, as a result of my relationship with my dad. And so and ultimately the fear of not being able to make it into nirvana. Yes. And ultimately the fear of not not being good enough. So in other words, in, in, in Western culture, being told that you're not good enough or clean enough to enter nirvana and that you will always be relegated to lifetime after lifetime here is the equivalent of somebody who is, um, let's say Christian being told that you will not get into heaven. And so what's the alternative being on the heavy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like being in the downstairs place forever (laughs) for all of eternity. (laughs) So now you're seeing your dad on the other side. Let's talk about what that reunion was like and how dad feels when he's not under the pressures of earth, earth life himself. So when I met my dad on the other side, so here we are, we are spirit, we are not physical bodies. And I realized that when we leave our physical bodies behind, we leave not only our physical bodies, but our 
gender, our biology. So we can't speak with, um, we don't have voice boxes. We don't have physical eyes. It's pure awareness, just pure awareness. And we become aware of a whole other dimension that you can't see with your physical eyes. And um, so we leave behind our culture, our gender, all of it, our religion. I realized all of those things are from here. They're all a here thing. They're not a there thing. So there I was with my dad, his pure essence and my pure essence. And all I felt from him was pure, unconditional love. No judgment whatsoever, like none. He understood me. And because we don't use language and we don't use our voices, it's almost like two spirits or two souls merging and you know what they want you to know and they know what you want them to know. It's like you just understand each other. You get each other in an instant. And he wanted me to know that there was nothing wrong with me and that he loved me unconditionally. And just as much as I thought I was a victim of my culture, he was a victim of the same culture, just doing the best he could within that culture. Yes. And so then he had a message for you because you were sitting on the other side saying, woohoo, <laughs> no pressure, no weight. This is great. Yes. Um, but obviously things changed. So let's talk about your father's message to you, how you felt when having to look at this because you actually had to make a decision. That's right. So I was given a choice as to whether to come back or not. I reached a point where I was told that you this is the point of no return. Basically, if you go any further, you won't be able to turn around. But I wanted to keep going, of course, because who wants to come back into a dying body? And I was suffering. But my dad was the one who stopped me. And he said, your work isn't done yet. You haven't completed your purpose. You need to go back. Now that you know the truth of who you really are, you need to go back. And I realized that I understood why I had got sick. And I started to understand that now that I understood this, if I chose to go back, my body would heal and it would heal very quickly. I just knew that it was going to heal very quickly because I now had the essence or the consciousness of a person who was not sick. And the body is a reflection of your consciousness. And so I, uh, but I still didn't want to go back yet. But my dad said, you have gifts waiting for you and you need to just go back and live your life fearlessly. And what he meant was by that was be yourself fearlessly. But his message was go back and live your life fearlessly. And it was at that point that I started to open my eyes and come out of the coma, which I had been in the coma for about between 30 to 36 hours. And for me, what was interesting is that my dad was the one who instilled fear in me during life. But my dad was also the one who broke that fear in death. So... It, it was, he released There's me the beauty, such a beauty, beauty and balance that it was him that yeah. was able to give you that. That's absolutely beautiful. So now let's talk about what it feels like when you have been free. Now we all go through this at night when we're dreaming, we're out of body to a fair extent, we're out of body, but we're still connected. You were still connected by a thread, but you consciously had to come back into the body. What was it like coming back into that body? Um, and then let's talk about what happened right after that. 
coming back into the body, uh, of course, I started to feel all the aches, the pains, the discomforts. My my body had open skin lesions. It weighed 85 pounds and it was uh, connected to all these tubes. But mentally, emotionally, and uh, in every other way, I was euphoric because I knew that life was not going to be a struggle. I was like I was looking forward to the gifts that my dad was talking about. And so I thought, okay, this is exciting. I wonder what awaits me. And so I felt like a little kid that was just about to go to their own birthday party or something like that. Like, <laughs> what are the presents going to be? What are the gifts going to be? Um, and and what started to happen is, so I started to say things to everybody around me. I started to say things like, dad is here. It's not my time to die. And also while I was in that out-of-body state, I could hear and see everything that had been happening in this hospital room while I was in the coma. So I started to relate all these things to the people around me. I said, oh, that's the doctor that was trying to put needles into my veins and couldn't find any veins. And, and they said this, and that's the doctor that took the fluid out of my lungs. And and so my family were like, how did you recognize them? How do you know you were in a coma? And the doctor was telling my family this whole time that she's still critical. And, you know, they come in and out of the coma when they're at this stage. So don't get your hopes up. But in about four days time, they saw that I wasn't going back in the coma and that I was wanting to sit up and I was wanting to eat real food because I had been being fed through liquids prior to that. And... Um, and the tumors were actually shrinking. And so within like five days or so, they noticed there was like a 60% shrinkage in those golf ball sized tumors. And they were shocked. They didn't even know what to put in my medical records. Three weeks after this, they were having difficulty finding any trace of cancer in my I just body. Love this. <laughs> yes. And this was because you were living in this state of fearless joy knowing you were loved and accepted in the greatest sense of the word, that's what started allowing for the healing energies to really move in. Yes. Yes. It's really that feeling, that euphoric feeling of, oh, wow, I can't get it wrong. I wasn't wrong. Right. Um, I'm supposed to live my life full out and allow my soul to express itself. And it was just that, that understanding that all that burden I had carried all these years of, I have to erase my karma, I have to do better, I have to be more <laughs> spiritual, I have to, I'm never going to get to nirvana. All that was just lifted, just completely lifted off. That's so beautiful. And that that was the thing that, as I was saying earlier, speaking with my soul group on occasion about these things, they kept stressing over and over that to flow into fearless joy and love and and beauty beauty that these were the keys really to the way they're explaining it is when you allow yourself to truly find joy and you know and that what does that mean on the deepest level for everyone a lot of times we think oh i love going to you know concerts that's my joy and that is joy and it's wonderful and we should do it anything that brings joy but also that deeper joy of satisfaction which you connected with which was why you couldn't leave at that time. Anyone who can find that, what brings that deeper joy and satisfaction within, 
is living fearlessly if you can move into it. And it's just releasing the fear that allows one to continually sort of refining your frequencies. It's not an act. It's not like an intentional, I'm going to refine my frequencies through meditation. It wasn't that. It's through creating this innate beauty and purpose and joy within oneself seems to be the healing factor and the one that allows us just to keep blossoming beautifully. What's your, how would you extend that? You just expressed it so beautifully. And for me, it was realizing that my only purpose is to find that joy. So what I understood, here's how I understood it, is that we spend our lifetime trying to do more, be more, whether it's to be better, attain more, trying to do things so that we don't meet other people's disapproval. And that's actually how we lose our way. In other words, trying to be good, trying to do the right thing, all of these things, we actually lose our way because we're trying to be something we're not. And the message it sends when we try to be these things, including trying to be spiritual, the message we're sending ourselves is that we're not good enough as we are. And so we have to try harder. So even, you know, and so people say to me, it's all very well for you to say that you were a good person. What about criminals and so on? And I say, even criminals are criminals because they've lost their way. They're not being who they are. At our soul level, at our spirit level, all of us have come here for connection, for love, to find our passion, to find our joy, but we lose our way. And this is what drives us to do or be what we do. Some people act out and, and maybe act out and, and become criminals. Other people turn it inward and get cancer, but it's the same thing. It's a repressed energy. It's your soul repressing itself. And so it it shows up in different ways in your life. And so for me, since the experience, I realized that we are already spiritual. And there's this um, quote that I really love, like you can't not be spiritual. You, you're, born spirit, you're, you're born spiritual, you die into spirit. How can you not be spiritual in your natural state? So, so there's this beautiful quote I love of when Michelangelo was asked how he created these beautiful statues of angels just from pieces of stone or marble. They were just blocks of rock and he would just carve with no designs or anything. He would carve out these beautiful statues of angels. And his response was, the angel is already there. I just chip away until I set the angel free. <laughs> and so this is what we are, our beauty, our purity, our love, our joy, our passion, our soul. It's already there. So it's not about doing more, being more, trying harder. It's about it's freeing that which is already there and to stop adding all those layers. Absolutely. So beautifully said. And really, it comes down to allowing ourselves to live as we are as human beings because in the end all of these mm, these little uh challenges when we've lost our way listen if we take it back to child we being childlike um when a child you know takes something out of another child's hand or bops them on the head 
normally at some point they're going to feel guilty about they're going to feel sad because they made someone else feel sad you don't even have to have someone tell you you were bad it's natural within us to not really want to harm one another and so little by little we'll bop each other on the head and we'll learn that doesn't feel good and so we'll give someone a hug or if we if we can get rid of ego and fear you know and uh, again being accepted by society we'll give them a hug or we'll apologize and there you go there's the that is the process of refinement is bumping into things and finding your way and it always is going to feel better when we're living in grace and compassion and love for one another like you said it's innate to the human being and that includes everyone i mean I know my yes. son was volunteering in prison and he had a prisoner who had committed murder that he would go and visit and talk with. And he said, the man was a total inspiration to him. What was underneath all of that was a total inspiration. So yeah, it doesn't matter really what we've done. We will find our way ultimately. Exactly. And in fact, now you've mentioned people in prison. Um, I was very moved by a letter I received from somebody in prison who um wrote to me, he reached out, he wrote to me, and he said that uh, he saw me on TV and he immediately called his sister to order my book, uh, Dying to Be Me, so that he could read it. And so he was put in prison for life and he was admitted into prison at the age of 18. So he told me his whole story. He said, I fell into um, a group of gangs, which was a big mistake. I got involved in something that was really bad, like really bad that I, I can't even write about it here. It was so bad that I was put into prison for life with no parole. And he said, I can deal with sacrificing my life and paying back for what I have done. But what really scared me was the thought that I was going to perish in hell for all of eternity. He said, I really believed that. That's what I was taught. And um, But reading your book and listening to you has actually set me free from that fear. At least I know that in death, I'll be free. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank (laughs) you for sharing that. That's really, that. what a gift your book gave that man. You gave that man. I hope you're enjoying this video because if you are, there are dozens more like it on my site, all supported by people like you. So if you'd like to keep this work rolling in and join our community, just click on the Patreon button at reginameredith.com. That also gives you access to insider commentary, my live book club, and other live events with special guests. So join in. Thanks. One of the things that I talked about in the very beginning, which is the frustration of what's going on because pressure is being applied within the cosmos for growth, for all the planets, for the entire cosmos, for every being on every planet and minor body. We're all being put under pressure to, you know, like an orchid sprout to the next level. And we're all upped for it collectively on a soul level and individually. So what do you say to people who say, I just want to be done with it. I just want to be out of body. I'm never coming back here. What do you say to them? And what is the potential for expressing true joy and the joy that happens through discovery and growth when you're not in a body? I want to say to people who feel that they're done, I want to remind them that they actually signed up for this and for being here during this time. We actually choose. There's so much... um, Like we live in a culture of victimhood where everybody seems to believe 
that they're that they are a victim of their circumstances. They don't realize that there's a lot. Okay, certain things may happen that takes you by shock, and and of course there are certain things that that just happen that shouldn't have. But there is so much in your life that actually you have chosen. And whether you've consciously chosen it here in the physical or whether you have chosen it from a higher level, from a soul perspective, there's so much you signed up for because your presence is actually doing good in this planet. If your presence did not matter on every level, if, it, if your energy on this planet Earth right now did not matter and was not needed, you would already not be here. The fact that you are here means that your energy is contributing to something. And at some level, somewhere, a choice was made for you to be here, whether it was a collective conscious choice that it needed you to be here at this time, or whether it was your soul's evolution's choice. But at some level, a decision was made and therefore, you exist right now in this time and place. Because if it wasn't, again, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> so I want people to know this. Um, the other thing I want to say is that um, particularly in my culture, in Hindu culture, there is this belief that it's like a school and you graduate. Um, and when you graduate, you never have to come back again. You attain nirvana. What I realized, in fact, is that the people who volunteer to come here and to do good and to, in, to, to raise the energy of the planet, to bring joy to people, to instill kindness, the people that come here to do that are doing harder work than being in nirvana. And that is actually more yes. advanced. And when we cross over, we are the ones that are actually revered not the ones that are sitting there. Who, we, we're down here revering them and saying, oh my gosh, um, you know, I, I'm really, I, I look up to my, uh, my guides, my angels or gods or whatever we want to call them. And we pray to them and we appease them and we give them offerings and sacrifices. What we don't realize, uh, what I realized when I died is they were rejoicing me. They were praising me. They were doing worshiping me for having gone through the ordeal I went through. It's the other way around. Thank you so much for sharing that perspective because you were there and you experienced it personally. Just referring to a couple of kind of classical texts, I know in the Hermetic view, it's the same. They say that the angels bow before a person who has learned self-mastery and not in the pious way, but through these ways of joy and simply elevating frequencies through living well. And the same thing, I, I read a book recently by um, Helena Blavatsky, who was talking to an adept on the other side, and they were saying, when you have, um, when a person has issues in life, the angels don't involve themselves in those mundane things, because the power, the, the masterful human is far more powerful than the angels. I love that. And same, same thing you're saying, exactly. And I think that we don't respect the fact that this journey is hard. It's hard because of the resistance of living third dimensional reality, but breaking through to the other side and learning amidst that, like you say, is there anything greater? And the angels don't have to put themselves, the angelic realms don't put themselves through that kind of pressure. 
Exactly. They don't put themselves through that kind of pressure because living here is hard. You know, so going back to like when I first came back, I was um, naive enough to think at that time after coming out of the NDE and starting to walk again and going home and living my life, I was naive enough to think, okay, this is going to be easy. I get it now. This is going to be so easy. (laughs) No. Oh my gosh. No. Um, I thought I'm going to live in joy. I'm going to tell everybody it's so easy. This is all you have to do. This is how you cure cancer. I really thought that. And the amount of pushback I got, the amount that people defend, that they defend hell, they defend pain, they defend suffering, they defend the reasons why you have to have, like, you cannot be in joy, you have to feel the guilt, you have to be the martyr. And I I was delusional because of what I now felt and knew to be true, at least knew to be my truth. And so... I realized that it's because we live in this culture, this paradigm where the dominant belief system, the dominant driving force for everybody is fear. You know, everybody fears not having enough money or as opposed to, for example, being passionate about doing work that you love and being rewarded for it. People take jobs out of fear of not having enough money and they do it just to pay the bills. Right. Um, we have a fear of illness as opposed to a reverence for health and well-being. And you're saying it perfectly because living in this place, Earth, which does have its resistance, and we do succumb to peer pressure, family, societal pressure, every kind of pressure to, quote, do the right thing, even to our own detriment. It is a fear-based reactive society. So what I'm hearing you say and what my guides say is, no, live proactively, go inside, Find the passion, find the thing that you're uniquely here to do. It can be anything. If it's uniquely yours, find a way to do it because it brings such wholeness and peace and subtle sense of joy from the inside. Proactively raise your frequency, so to speak. I don't even like using that word, but you you actively you you are proactively raising your frequencies by simply choosing to live out of fear and stand in yourself. And expand on that a little bit because most people watching have had to make these little deals with the devil to get by. And we all have. Yes. Let's talk about it. You're in a world that requires this ridiculous monetary system. Um, so we have to find ways to get digits of currency to pay for food and shelter and everything. So talk about how one works through and around that to be able to still live fearlessly and enjoy. Okay. So the first thing is to recognize that we live in a scarcity system and that is not aligned with truth. Mm -hmm. Um, so what do I mean by that? Let me break it down from the time we are little we are taught that there isn't enough to go around, which makes us very competitive. So from the time we go to school, there's a scarce, you know, we're told you have to work hard to get ahead. There's not enough places in the universities. And um, so there's scarcity in even in terms of the one who gets ahead in terms of the, you know, the tests and the exams and to get ahead. In money, you you believe we are all told there's scarcity, there's not enough money to go around, there's not enough food to go around, there's not enough health and well-being to go around. So everything comes from a place of lack and scarcity. Whereas if you changed your values around, 
um, life would actually feel very different, look very different. And you would realize that this whole scarcity thing is a myth. But every day as you tune into the TV and listen to mainstream media, and as you go to school, your education system, the governments, the uh, the medical system, all of them are operating on scarcity. And what this means is, for example, even our healthcare system puts money before health. Um, and it, and so because it puts money before health, illness makes more money than health does. So the focus is on illness. And so that's what gets fed to us. So basically we are living and believing in and using as our main values, certain criteria and values that are not based on truth. And I mean, real truth, higher truth, truth of our soul. The second thing I would want people to know or be aware of is that your soul is your infinite self. And it is here at this point in time in this physical body. Uh, but it, this is only part of the journey. It has lived many lives and this soul carries with it the experience of all its lives. And so this is just one section of the journey. When your soul came into this life, it came, he, it came here with certain intentions and to fulfill certain purposes. So I explain um, destiny versus free will this way, uh, that your soul came with certain intentions. It was like, oh, I'm going to come here to do this, to elevate the planet by being a whatever, a speaker, an inspirational speaker, a teacher, an author, an artist, or I want to build conscious businesses and I want to help people to earn more money so they won't suffer. You come with these intentions. But you have the free will as to whether to fulfill your intentions or not. And when you come here, it's very easy to lose your way and fall into the dominant paradigm, the dominant belief system of scarcity. But the but my purpose here is to remind you all the time that your soul did not actually sign up to fall for that belief system. It came here to change that. But what has happened is because this was the system that was built from many years ago, it's never changed. It's gone off kilter. We come here to try and shift it, but we always have the choice. Do we fall into it and become part of it? Or can we still stay with our values and actually shift it? And it requires a change in your values. It requires you to put um, different things at the forefront. So for most people, money is their greatest value. Like they base their decisions on how much money it will bring them. They define success with money. How much money does that person have? How many assets? Um, how much real estate, and that defines success. We have to define success differently. To me, success is having boundless energy and being able to actually uplift people. For me, my greatest value, my greatest um, passion is to actually expand my own energy and be in as much joy as possible, follow my own dreams, follow my own heart, and inspire other people to do that. And that's how I measure my success. What happens is when I start to do that and when I understand what my purpose is, the money to support that then comes. 
because my soul is connected and knows how to draw in what it needs to make that happen. So it doesn't feel like I'm working at something I don't want to do just to pay the bills. No, I've come here to uplift the planet and I'm going to leave it to my soul, my guides and everything else to help me figure out how to do that. And I think what we often fail to understand that our soul is, can't even guess, millions of times more clever than this little conscious pea brain we have going on here. And it finds the most unique and amazing ways to allow us to move into our purpose once we understand what it is. And we see that that we can feel that welling up of joy inside us because we've discovered that it'll find a way to support us and help that happen. And in the interim, it seems to me the big kind of the big leap is first to say, okay, I want to know that I want to know myself on that level. And sometimes people need to take a little break and get quiet somewhere. Some people can do it in morning meditation. Others might need to take a little time, visit an ashram, sit in meditation with no responsibility for a little while and see who you are. Can you go ahead and maybe expand on that a bit of how we break the pattern and find peace enough to hear our own inner voice? Yes, absolutely. So uh, what I find really helps is doing things like being out in nature, um, or for me, being by the ocean, also listening to music. I love music. It just transports me. But the idea is to really get to this state of calmness where you can just be by yourself. Now, if you're someone who needs to be doing something all the time, then you really need to evaluate your life. And also I meet people who schedule meditation. They're like, I got to rush because I got to go meditate. What that means is, boy, you need to change your life, not just meditate. But I try and live my life so that my life is a meditation, not that I need to find time to meditate, but more like my my life needs to be a meditation and there are times when i go off kilter and i and i find that i'm engaged in some really frenetic energy and then after a little while i'm like no this isn't right i've got to get back into kilter so i build a life that is meditative in in itself where i have music i live by the ocean so that i can be in this state and let me tell you why it's important Um, it's important because when you're able to get into that state where you can really feel that you're connected, uh, your soul is connected to the universe. It's connected to everybody else's soul. It's connected to your, your spirit guides, your deceased loved ones. It's connected to everybody else's deceased loved ones, because when we're not in a physical body, we are infinite. We are expanded. So when you need answers, when you ask upward for answers, your soul has greater access to answers than you do, than your puny little self does. And um, I call that when I ask my soul and then it and it and then I leave it to my soul. It's my soul's responsibility to go figure it out because my soul has access to what I call the infinite net which is far more powerful than the internet. And as you and I both know, the internet is, you know, it works on algorithms. So you'll never get really um, true answers. Um, So your soul can access the answers from anywhere. And what happens is 
When you live like that, when you can live in that state of feeling the connection, you'll notice that answers will come to you. Like someone will say something and you'll pay attention in the right moment to hear a sentence that is exactly the solution that you need for this problem that you're having over here. Mm -hmm. Or a song will come on the radio and your whole life will start to be synchronicitous like this. Yes, that's very helpful and useful. I think we've covered a lot of very useful topics. Um, and now I want to ask you something of a more personal nature. Um, and that is, you've alluded to it, that there may have been something you were exposed to on the other side that you're hesitant to. You've been hesitant to share. Is that Yes. True? Can you share? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, what I realized on the other side is uh, a lot of our diseases and illnesses like say cancer, it's not what we think it is. And the solution is not in the research that we have been pouring trillions of dollars to. It's absolutely not. It's something far simpler. It's far easier to heal, but people are not healing from it because we're not looking there. It's under our very noses, but we're not looking there. And there's also a lack of willingness to look there because it generates trillions of dollars for a lot of people. And too many people live off of cancer. And uh, basically, I, yeah, that's, that, that was one of the big things that I learned. It really is in our emotions and our expression. And yes. not only that, um, there's cancer also appears in your body when you are completely fed up with life and feeling trapped and need a way out, but you're not going to take your own life. And in a way for some people, it gives them an exit point. It gives them a, a heroic way to leave the planet when they were actually ready. It's not necessarily their time as in they want to leave the planet early, basically, but mm. they don't want to do it in a way as in suicide. So the body manifests a reason for them to do it. That's one. That's one. Um, in other ways, it was like what happened with me. Um, but there are many different reasons we develop cancer and cancer is actually many different diseases that has been grouped into one name that has stigma and it scares the bejesus out of anyone who hears it, but it's actually not as scary as we have been led to believe. And anybody could reverse it if it's, uh, first of all, if, if they're not like, you know, if their bodies have not reached like the end, end of their life, but and anybody getting cancer prematurely can reverse it if their soul wants to continue living, absolutely, they can reverse it. And we've heard of these these uh, spontaneous healing stories where someone said, you know what? They said, I've got stage three cancer. So I thought, hey, I'm going to go do what I want to do now. They said, I don't really have a lot. <clears throat> you know, I just did a matter of time at this point or stage four, right? And uh, so they go off and go scuba diving, play on an island and boom, everything starts reversing itself. Go into yes. simplicity, nature, joy. Again, any way it is that our being connects with joy. And if that's with just being with your family and loving your kids or your grandkids, it's the same. It's the feeling that energy of joy and beauty and connectivity. Yes, and, it's you know, I love how you said that a moment ago that that is at the base. How many times do we see women who develop either breast or uterine cancer who are worn out? Their family yes. takes them for granted, they've given all they can give. And this way it gets to stop and you get a little attention back to boot. Yes. 
And there's a couple of other things to watch out for. It's things like um, some people develop illnesses and cancer because, uh, and they don't want to let go of it because it's brought them a kind of attention that they don't know how to get otherwise. Mm -hmm. There is a secondary payback. So those are the things that need to be healed. You know, the reason why you're sick is that are the things that need to be healed. But our um, society and our culture are not willing to spend money to research those things because there's no profit in it. So I did start shouting all these things from the rooftops, but I was pushed back. I got pushed back from people. And so that's why... I stopped. I stopped sharing. But I know it to be true. And many people who have experienced it because they've heard me speak about it and they've come forward, they know it to be true. But um, you can't say it too loudly or you get shut down. You're living proof, Anita. I mean, who are they going to listen to? Someone who profits from cancer or someone like you? I say, listen to you. And so finally, are you still in contact with your guides? Do you still feel some of what you felt on the other side? All the time, all the time. Um, I talk to them all the time and I speak to them uh, every night, every morning, and also whenever I need help. And I find that as I navigate this path, in this world that I'm in right now, a lot of different projects come my way, you know, whether it's projects to be in documentaries, movies, and so on. Some things clash with each other. I'm always consulting my guides as to, okay, how should I handle this? What should I do? Because deep down inside, I'm still a bit of a people pleaser. Still, I'm still an empath. I'm still I still hate getting disapproval. I still don't like it when I get attacked on social media. So I do constantly ask my guides to help me through all those kinds of things. You've written a new book that sensitive is the new strong. And, yes. and I bring that up because we have a segue from you saying, I am still a people pleaser. You are an empath. You are sensitive. So what what is the um, kind of overall mission or statement of the book, Sensitive is the New Strong? I'm sensitive and I feel sensitive when I get attacked, but I was always made to feel wrong for it. Like there's something wrong with me. But when I looked, when I look around the world today, I realize that we revere people who are ruthless. We revere people who are highly competitive, who win at all costs, um, people who are, uh, who, who really just put money before anything else. We revere them and we vote them into power. We put them into leadership positions. We look up to them. And then we look around at the world and we wonder why it is in the state that it's in. And the other thing we do is we spend more money on technology that kills people, that kill each other, than we do on technology to feed each other and help each other. And so I'm looking around thinking, Maybe I'm not the one that's weak because here I am trying to tell people that my greatest value is, is not only joy, passion, and so on, but also we've forgotten to be kind to each other. We need to be more empathic. And it's considered a weakness, though. So I started to think that maybe we have it all wrong because if we continue the way we're going and if we continue to define strength as ruthlessness, greed, and so on, and power and power hungry, then we could be looking at the brink of our own extinction. 
But if we redefine the parameters of what it means to be strong, and we decided and started educating people that actually being empathic, being compassionate, being vulnerable, these are actually strengths. If we started to promote that, we could actually have a very different world. And that's what motivated me to write that book. Bravo. Yes. Thank you for that. And it's so true because the reality is humanity has had its nose pressed up against the window, watching how those who have power and who profit from others survive when in times past, it literally was a matter of our own survival if we had seemingly nothing compared to those people. So it's a, it's kind of a deep, deep envy um, in the human psyche born out of absolute need in times past. I mean, so the king could walk by and step on your face and take all your property, right? So yeah. there was a certain kind of fear and admiration for that. And we're still doing it. We we elevate this in media and in other ways. You know, we, we tend to romanticize it. But no, what you just said is absolutely true. And Anita, I want to thank you so much for joining us here today. I love your message. And I think everybody finds it truly great grounding, inspirational, to take us back to our center. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Regina. I love the questions you ask, and I love talking to you. (laughs) So I hope to see you again in the not-too-distant future, Anita. Thank you. Thank you. You can go to... any major bookseller and find either of Anita's books, either Dying to Be Me to talk about her original near-death experience or Sensitive is the New Strong. Absolutely. Kindness, compassion, being kind and nice to one another. That is the new strong. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on reginameredith.com.